Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 45 with Pastor John King. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're taking a little break from Daniel, book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a Christmas message this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 45. Very familiar passages for us here. Now, we did finish uh, chapter 3 of Daniel last week, and we had some powerful lessons about faith, especially what we call trusting faith, where our total confidence for all of life's trials can be placed where? In God's hands. Knowing that He is always able to deliver us from a trial, or He can sustain us in a trial. He doesn't always deliver us completely from our trials. Either way, it's for his glory, right? You and I are called to trust and obey and then let God determine the outcome. That's always better. That's always better, even in the hardest of situations. And I believe he tends to give us the grace and the ability to do those things when we've made up our mind beforehand how we're going to react if we ever have to encounter a trusting faith. I'm talking about a serious situation. We, we encounter the small ones, and that's our training ground. But sometimes the big ones hit us, the hospital visits. In the case of Daniel and his, uh, or Daniel's three uh, companions, it was a fiery death awaiting them. And so they had to trust in the Lord. But this week, we're going to fast forward 600 years, about, in the Bible. You know, the Bible's been around a long time. It's been written over a long, uh, you know, it was written over a period, I think, of 1,500 years total by 40 different authors. Okay, and it's all saying the same thing. It's all pointing to Emmanuel, Jesus. So fast forwarding 600 years from the time of Daniel, we're going to look at the trusting faith of a virgin whose name was Mary. Mary. <laughs> As she encounters the supernatural, the divine supernatural, in a way that no other woman before or after has. As the angel Gabriel announces the birth of Christ. Let's read our passage, verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, Now in the sixth month, the, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angels said to her, Rejoice! Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, not above women, among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also... That holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told of her from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. We've come to a place, Lord, a very special place in all of Scripture. We've come here to this week. We finally come to this time of the year where most of us in our culture, uh, many anyway, celebrate your coming, your birth the Lord's coming of Christmas Day. And so, Father, we just ask that you would, you know, just maybe we just need to kind of wipe off some of the things we have thought from beforehand. It's good to come to your word with a, uh, with a, a new mind to be refreshed and a new mind to understand things clearer. And also, too, Lord, to reinforce the things that we already know, the things that we have learned. We keep, the, we keep the good things, Lord. We keep the good things that are in our hearts and in our minds and we cherish them that come from you. And so, Lord, would you build upon that today as we study your word together. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. So here we have what's known as the Annunciation. Unlike what my father used to say to me when I spoke and he couldn't understand when I mumbled, he would say, Enunciate. Well, this is the Annunciation. This is the announcement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God, if you will, whose name is Jesus. And so we start kind of abruptly, we start right here in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Now this angel, Gabriel, is called the man of God. His name means man of God. And he is one of two named angels in the scriptures. The other is Michael, the archangel. Gabriel is mentioned four times in the scriptures. We will see him twice in the book of Daniel, and as we move forward in the book of Daniel, as God's interpreter of Daniel's visions and future events. And he was sent by God in the sixth month. Luke is referring to, of course, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin's pregnancy. She's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. She was Mary's older cousin, and she lived down in Judah. Mary was in Nazareth. This important announcement is connected with another important announcement that happened earlier in the chapter. We just don't have time to cover it all today. But real, a quick background. Gabriel, or Gabriel, had just recently appeared before the father of John the Baptist. You might recognize him. His name was Zacharias. Zacharias was standing duty as a temple priest. It was his time to stand duty. There were like 18,000 priests in that day. And so they took turns, month at a time, standing duty at the, at the temple and, and ministering. 
And you may recall that the angel Gabriel announced to Zacharias that his wife Elizabeth would bear them a son. The son would be named John, and he would be the forerunner to announce the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. This, of course, was a big deal for many reasons. Not only to have the announcement, but the fact that Elizabeth was barren, and they couldn't have children. All through their marriage, they could not have children, and they had prayed for that. But Zacharias, he reacted in a way that we need to guard against, because he said, he was in doubt, basically. He was in doubt of this miraculous claim. Now imagine that. He has spent a lot of his adult life, him and his, his wife Elizabeth, they were devoted to God. They were godly uh, husband and wife. And they prayed for a child. And finally the Lord sends an angel to actually announce it. And what does he do? He says, well, how should I know this? Which is, for our languages, okay, and like, okay give me, can you give me something to prove what you're saying is true? Can you, you know, do you have a little bit of a sign for me? How shall I know this? And he says, you know, what the angel already knew. He says, for I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Taking away, now see if this sounds familiar, folks. Taking away all trust and faith in God and then putting our eyes on ourselves. Taking away all trust and faith in God, putting our eyes on ourselves and then deciding it's not possible. Does that sound familiar? You ever done that? Take away your trust in God, bring it to your circumstance, and then come to the decision that this isn't going to work out. We've all done that. We've all been there. But even worse, he was asking this angel from heaven, right there standing before him, at the right side of the altar, to provide some sort of proof that he was legitimate. <laughs> now, uh, um, one pastor would say this, look, if you and I ever come face to face with an angel... We need to make sure we're in good health because they are such powerful beings that you might have a heart attack. And then to have the, the, the gall, if you will, to kind of say, hey man, are you, are, you real, are you the real deal? Well, we noticed what happened. God had just sent his messenger to inform, them, to inform them that they would finally have a child. They would have joy and gladness that their son would be great in the sight of God and even announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah. What an honor. What an honor. Any priest of that day, any Levitical priest in that day would love to have had that honor. Now, Zacharias had to get, you know, these angels also have great uh, authority, in this case, to actually punish. And he was punished. You guys know the story. God allowed him to be punished with a temporary loss of speech. For the whole gestation period, the whole nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, guess what? He couldn't be a proud dad and brag about it because he was mute. He couldn't speak. And it says in Luke 1, 19 and 20, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Man, whew, careful. So that's sort of the backstory, the uh, kind of a longer version than I expected. But Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now he's going to come, this angel is going to come to the northern region of Israel where Jesus would spend most of his time. This is where he would grow up. This is where he would launch his ministry from. 
In fact, he would speak, his public ministry would be the first time, would publicly speaking, would be in the ministry or the synagogue of, of Nazareth. And now Gabriel, coming to Mary, <clears throat> had an even more important announcement to make. One that would change the course of history, all history. It's part of your testimony when you accepted Jesus Christ. Well, he had to come into the world first. And he would deliver his announcement to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in verse 27. A virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph. Now in those days, Jewish betrothal was like a very um, formal wedding engagement. It was part of a process for how they would marry. It was almost as binding as marriage and it could only be broken in divorce. Just the engagement itself would require an official divorce. And Jewish girls married at a very young age, and so likely she was a teenager. She may have been 14, 15, 16 years old. And she was, the, um, excuse me, she was married to Joseph of the house of David. Now Joseph, his lineage, he was from the house of David. Remember, David was the second king of Israel. He was the ancestor, the physical ancestor of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1, we see it. It says, Matthew 1.1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so Joseph was of the house of David. Now Joseph would not be Jesus' physical father, only Mary would. And this virgin's name was Mary. This is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Miriam. Miriam. Now, clear, Mary is clearly said to be a virgin. For those, for those who, uh, you know, we live in a day uh, where people challenge the Bible, even within the church, there's this progressive Christianity that's taking place, and they try to throw out all the foundational doctrines of the Bible. And we live in a day where they will say, well, we don't believe in that virgin birth stuff. This is clearly, this is clearly the case. There's no ambiguity about it. Mary had never been with a man, and she would declare that later. Verse 28, so having come in, so by way of introduction, Gabriel entered the house and spoke these famous words. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. Now rejoice that means to hail, to be well, to thrive. Why? Because highly favored means to be, have been pursued with grace. God is pursuing her with grace. The Lord with you. Curios. God. Matthew one twenty three. it said in that uh, account, that scripture, it says, Behold... The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So rejoice, highly favored. You've been pursued by God's grace. The Lord is with you, and you are blessed among women. Favored among women. Again, like I said, not above women. Why do I say that? Well, because one of the main reasons why the church separated back in the 1500s between Catholicism and Protestantism, it was because of what the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church has done with this doctrine of the virgin birth and the virgin conception. 
Uh, it says here, as we find, um, that we, we notice that she's not above women. And so we live in a world today where uh, some parts of the church tend to elevate Mary to a status she doesn't belong, whereas other parts of the church, the Protestant side, says, eh, we don't want to talk about Mary too much because we don't want to do what the Catholics did. We don't want to err in that way. Well, what's wrong with what the Roman Catholic Church teaches? Well, one thing they teach what's called Immaculate Conception. This is the notion that Mary was born without a fallen sin nature. She was free from original sin. And we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody who was born under uh, you know, the DNA with Adam and Eve is born sinless. So she is not, was not born sinless. It goes completely against Scripture. Another thing that's believed by the Catholic Church is what's called perpetual virginity which insists that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. Why did Jesus have so many half-brothers if that was the case? And then, of course, another thing that they teach is what's called bodily assumption. So you have immaculate conception, she was sinless, perpetual virginity, and bodily assumption. This is the belief that Mary never succumbed to death, but was taken directly into heaven in bodily form, like she was raptured. We have no scriptural evidence of this. Chuck Swindoll wrote this. He said, by adding one Mary exalting dogma to another, the Roman Catholic Church now regards Mary as a co-mediator or mediatrix, if you will, alongside her son, Jesus Christ. In the words of Pope John Paul II in 1997, he said this, quote, in union with Christ and in submission to him, she collaborated in obtaining the grace of salvation for all humanity. That's what they teach, and that's their doctrines. So that's a little bit of background why we have, you know, one, why, one of the main reasons why we had the Reformation and why we find ourselves in a weird place, you know, around the world with, when it comes to Mary. But she was an amazing woman. Mary was an amazing woman and very unique in the role that God called her to play. In verse 29, notice it says, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Now, troubled means she was very agitated. But why? Remember, Zacharias was like, show me a sign. I'm not sure if you're the real deal. She, said, she was very ag agitated because she considered what manner of greeting this was. In other words, from her position in society, the way that this angel of God was talking to her, she had never, she would never, could in her wildest dreams imagine being considered that, that, you know, blessed among women, all those things that he said. She was a poor, humble young maiden. And in that day, young women occupied a very low social status. They occupied a very low social status. She was not expecting the description of herself given by Gabriel, but this was not a rebellious attitude. You know, even though this is a very specific and a very prophetic circumstance, any one of, any one of you, anyone that you know, that you deliver the gospel message to, who hears the good news, who repents of their sin and receives God's saving grace by faith in Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, can certainly have a good reason to rejoice 
in the favor and the blessings of God. It's not exclusive. Why? Because all believers in Christ have found favor with God and are recipients of his unmerited favor. So she was blessed among women, but she was not blessed above women or anybody else. Amen? Comes, uh, here we go to verse 30. It says, now the angel is going to now deliver the real meat of the message. He says, you will conceive and bring forth a son. You will conceive. He starts out, though, and he says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Remember, the presence of a holy angel, you've got to be in good physical condition to be able to handle that, <laughs> because that is an awesome sight. And the words that he was saying, he noticed she was agitated and fearful by his words, so he repeats his claim. For you have found favor with God. You have acquired goodwill, You've acquired God's loving kindness. You, you have that. It's been, it's been put upon you by his grace. Mary was a unique woman chosen by God to give birth to the king of kings. Because of God's providential timing, not because she was sinless. But we will see that she was a young lady who loved God. And see if, if, if you're a young person, or even no matter who you are, See if this is a, a fitting description for your desire with God. Mary was a young lady, man, whoever, who loved God and determined to live a pure and responsible life. Does that describe you? Does that describe the desire that you have? That you, first of all, you love God and that you are determined to live a pure and responsible life. Now notice in verse 31, he, he gets to, he cuts to the chase. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Now, uh, notice something here. We, we, we went with Love Life a couple months ago to talk about abortion. And we, we, we know that our society, the way they can get around abortion is to say that life begins at birth, not at conception. What does it say here? It says, in your womb. That's where life begins. You will conceive in your womb and then you will bring forth and you will give birth to a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. This is the Hebrew form of Yeshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation or he is savior. That's the meaning. You know, that's, his, that's his mission statement in his name, his mission statement. He is savior. He brings salvation. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. He is salvation. The idea is that of deliverance, of being saved from some terrible disaster that leads to perishing. So within his name, even though there were a lot of Jews named Jesus, this son of God, God the Son, his mission statement was to rescue, to save from a terrible disaster. And in the case of mankind, the terrible disaster is eternal life separated from God. Matthew 1.21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's, his, that's, the, that's the good news. That's the real reason why we celebrate Christmas, despite all the other things that we do. And they're not all bad. This is what's known in, uh, from the Old Testament as the Emmanuel prophecy. Isaiah 7.14 said, therefore, 
The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. See, they were, they were talking about this for centuries and centuries and centuries. Now, the birth of God's son, friends, required a miracle, obviously. He had to be born of a woman and partake of human nature. The writer of Hebrews says he became flesh and blood so he could die and in so doing break the power of the devil who had at the time the power of death. We see that in Hebrews 2.14. But at the same time, all together, at the same time, the son had to be born by another miracle of God. His divine nature, which is completely sinless and incorruptible, had to remain intact so that he could live a sinless life on earth. Christmas is the gospel. It's the gospel. And so God acted. God did everything to secure righteousness and perfection for man. He took every step and performed every act necessary to save his people from their sins and from death. That includes us. He did it from the beginning to the end, from birth to exaltation. God sent his son into the world, not through a man and a woman, but through a miraculous act of his own upon the Virgin Mary. Because of his sinless perfection, Jesus was able to secure righteousness on our behalf. Jesus was able to bear the sins and judgment of sin for all men on the cross. He was able to raise, arise from the dead so that we are, who are his can one day be resurrected to eternal life. Jesus has gone to heaven before us, exalted to sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf and preparing a place for us. That's what he's doing right now. His work, his work. No wonder she could write in verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That word great, Greek is, is megas. He would be universally eminent and distinguished among all. He would be called the son of the highest. The highest rank of God, the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, back to his human lineage. He will give him the throne, which is a seat or a chair of a state having a footstool, designating his kingly power, his royalty. As a true descendant of David, he had a legitimate claim to the throne. Now we're talking about, we've been talking in Daniel about the millennial reign of Christ. And he will sit on a throne in the temple in Jerusalem and reign and rule and reign for a thousand years before he does another powerful miracle after the great white throne judgment and then levels the entire earth and creates a new heaven and a new earth. So he's going to have his rightful place. But we know from the story of Jesus' life, he came and you know, his, his greatest claim to any kingliness was riding on a donkey and then having a 
king of the Jews sign placed over his cross where he died for us. But he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. That's what we should call him. But the world doesn't tend to do that. 2 Samuel 7.16, it says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That's the difference between the other world belief systems and the other philosophies of life. We have an eternal king who promises eternal life. To forgive us of our sins, which we know because he placed it on our conscience He's given us a heart. He's given us a conscience to know that we're sinners. And that if we stand before a holy God, he has no choice because he's holy. If we haven't received the offer of salvation, he has no choice but to mete out justice to us. He's a king. Gabriel explained how the title Son of God was more than just an expression writes Chuck Swindoll, this child, a holy child, free from the contamination of Adam's original sin, was actually the son of the Most High. Verse 33, more future prophecy, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's where he's going to be. He's going to be in Israel. Kings and nations will come to worship him. He will exercise his kingly power. He will rule the entire, every inch of the earth with a rod of iron. And to his kingdom will be no end. No end in sight for all eternity. No termination. When we get to Daniel chapter 7, we will read in Daniel seven fourteen the following. It says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and language should, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, this has been spoken of for century upon century upon century, and we still say it today. And we come back to his humble servant, Mary. Look at her. Verse 34. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, our circumstances is obviously different. But our allegiance to Jesus, our surrender to him, should be the same. Let it be to me. Let it be to you according to your word. And Mary said, though, she had a question. Verse 34, after hearing what the angel had said, she said, how can this be? Since I, I do not know a man, or I, I haven't been with a man. Now again, this attests to the fact that she, Mary, is a virgin. And this is a very legitimate question. She is, of course, thinking in the carnal sense. What else would she have thought? But we often have to be reminded that God doesn't think in that way. There's no room for a fleshly or a crude thought here. When we think of Mary and we, when we see what the, the Bible does, God's Spirit simply speaks, and guess what? It's done. It's a done deal. God created the, word, sim the world simply by what? Speaking the Word. God always creates by the power of His Word and the power of His Word alone. Amen? 
Think of, the, think of the things that happened in your life by the power of his word. The changes that took place, whether it was your salvation or your growing in the Lord, your sanctification. But just because you read a passage and you understood it and it started to change your life by the power of his word. So the angel answered to her and said, and he gives an amazing description of the Trinity. Now, if, you're, uh, if you run into skeptics and they'll say, what, the Trinity is not even in the Bible. Did you know that? Did you know the Trinity is not in the Bible? No, it's not, but the descriptions are all over. And here's another one. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Well, that's God, the Holy Spirit. We, he, we know he's the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit. He's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he says, the power of the highest will overshadow you, the Most High. That's God the Father. So God the Holy Spirit, God the Father will overshadow. And therefore, the Son of God, also God the Son, the Holy One will be born. That's Jesus. So you have the Holy Spirit. Not, and we normally say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, here it's in a different uh, order, if you will. But notice it says, the power of the highest will overshadow you. In the Bible, that word, when it's being used, it's sort of like a, a vaporous cloud that casts a shadow. Uh, in some places in the Bible, that vaporous cloud is transformed to like a shining cloud, if you will, surrounding and covering people. We read, through, read about all through the Bible. Uh, usually it's with brightness. In Mark 9, 7, we have an example at the transfiguration. It says, And a cloud came and overshadowed them, to and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. So God the Father, his presence, because nobody can see God and live. God the Father. And so the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God, who is also God the Son. Remember, He's incarnate. He is fully man and He is fully God. All at once. All at once. And it could only be that way. We don't get to try to... Can you say, can you, figure, can you understand that? Can you give me some science behind that? I'm sorry, I don't have any. It's just the truth. Verse 36, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son. Now, why is he saying this to her? He wants to encourage her. He wants to tell her of this other miracle. Gabriel, after all, was sent from heaven. And guess what that means? Miracles are happening. <laughs> okay. And he says, and this now the sixth month for her, and she was called barren. She was well past childbearing age. So Gabriel say, look, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth, your, your older cousin, she's having a baby too. And she, you know that he, she couldn't have children. You know that her and Zacharias wanted children all their marriage and they could never have them. And so he's encouraging Mary with the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy. But then he says a very famous verse. A very famous verse, verse 37. This is Gabriel saying, For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. The power of God has no weakness and it doesn't lack strength. You remember Jesus after he counseled the rich young ruler, 
seeing the difficulty of the man's, his unwillingness to surrender his wealth for the gospel, the rich young ruler in, in Matthew 19, 26. And he counseled the young ruler and he sent him on his way. And then his disciples were watching this. And so in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looks at them and he says to them, with men, this is impossible. You know, this guy's not willing to put aside his worldly goods to follow me. But he said, but with God, all things are possible. That may well be your testimony, folks. It, it should be, no matter what. You know, you could have had a radical change of life. It doesn't matter. Because when you look at yourself and you consider who you are before God, you know that it, with you and your own strength, the life that you have in Christ would be impossible. But with God and trusting him. Verse 38, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She's basically saying, I surrender. She really wasn't put up a fight to begin with, but I surrender. I, this is how she looked at herself. This is how we should look at ourselves. She says, I am the maidservant of the Lord. The feminine version of doulos, doule, the feminine word for doulos, which means bondservant. One who worships and submits to God. That, that should be our, our description. I, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a slave. I'm a bondservant. And then she said, let it be according to your word. In other words, the words that Gabriel had just spoken, she said, oh Lord, let, you know, let it be. Let this happen. God's word was her will. She surrendered totally to obey God. She would serve as he willed, being completely obedient and fulfilling his purpose entirely. She would act according to his word, or thy word in the King James. Now think about what Mary was saying, and think about, for her, in her case, the depth of her trust and dedication to God. I mean, this was a true test because of the social society issues going on. You know, we, we still live in a free country where it's free to come to church. We, we, you know, we're free to do so. But in some places, you take your life in your hands if you assemble in a large group or even a small group and you own a Bible. Well, her culture, that religious culture, was very harsh. Remember, she didn't have much standing I mean, the girl's probably 14 years old, okay? Think about it. And so she had to deal with some things. And she had to really, when, for her to say those words meant that she trusted God. Because once she was an unwed mother. Who of that day would ever believe her story? This required a willingness to be available to God regardless of the price. Then there was the deal with her betrothed, Joseph. What's he going to say? How's he going to deal with this situation? The shock of broken trust and of personal embarrassment was more than a person could be expected to bear. And of course, we know that the angel spoke to Joseph and got him straight too. And so Joseph had to be willing in his part to forget himself completely. And there was also the threat of being condemned to death for 
adultery. This was against God's law that was given. And so these people could have stoned her to death. And she had to face the possibility that she would be seen as an immoral woman in the eyes of that society. So all these things are coming against her, yet she chooses to say, let your word, let thy will be done. Now when you, you received the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, I'm going to assume all of us here are believers in Christ. Some of you may be listening to this recording and, and you're not, you're not there yet. And so when you receive the good news of salvation, that your debt owed to God for breaking his law has been paid in full on the cross, and that all you had to do, there were no works that you could do, there was nothing you could do to make God you know, reward you by your own works. All you had to do was agree with God, repent of your sin, and your conscience and the Holy Spirit does a great job of doing that, by the way, helping you get there and receive everlasting forgiveness. How did you react when you heard the gospel? Because I know for me, many times I'd heard the gospel before I came to know Jesus, and I was like, you know, I would have been somewhat like Zacharias. What are you talking about? Can you prove this to me? Or are you like Mary? Were you, you know, I, I got to believe if you surrendered to God, you ended up being like her. Let thy will be done, your word. Let it be done in my life. But what we learn from this is that God has a right to, and he does expect us to believe him and to believe his power. Regardless of our circumstances and our feelings of insignificance. It's not our emotional state that matters to God. It's the truth that matters. Surrender to God is an absolute essential both for salvation and for service. Surrender to God. Otherwise, it all wears out, doesn't it? You know, we get tired. Sometimes we get tired. We get weary of doing good, don't we? Serving. That's why we're talking about asking for more volunteers. We all get weary of doing good. And so the reason why we continue to serve is because we decide we want to surrender our lives to God and serve others. Luke 14, 33, it says, So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all, that he, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, look, if you will not surrender, and this is how you can tell people who come to faith in Christ, and then six months later, they're nowhere to be seen. You can tell because God will hold you accountable for who you claim to be in him. Especially if you're in a place where the Bible is taught. Okay, the power of the Holy Spirit speaking. And he says, look, if you won't surrender all, I'm going to test you. And if not, you, you can't be my disciple. You know, you might be a false believer, but you cannot be my disciple is what he's saying. But also we know that God has given you and I encouragement from the past events. Because you and I can think of the many times and the many trials we've been through. The longer we live in this earth, the longer we're in this body, we can think of the times that God has seen us through these trials. It's called your testimony. Moving on, we see now Mary visits Elizabeth, verse 39. She arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. Uh, you know, maybe she, 
she, now she heard this news about her cousin, and I, I just can't help but believe that, you know, there were a lot of reasons, maybe for social reasons why she left, but also just to be able to kind of go see her cousin, who was, you know, they're both miraculously pregnant now, okay? And so they were going to have some fellowship together. So she goes down to the city of Judah. She departs Nazareth. She starts heading south. The city of Judah, some believe, is a city called Hebron. It's called the city of priests in Joshua 21. It was situated in the tribe of Judah. It was about 40 miles south of Jerusalem. So she went from Nazareth, most likely, to south of Jerusalem. So she took a trip of about 70 miles through the hill country to be with her cousin. And then when she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, guess what happened? Verse 41, it says, and it happened. <laughs> when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, this child, John the Baptist, conceived in the womb of Elizabeth, now had, he was sensitive to the divine influence because his mother was then filled with the Holy Spirit. And he in turn was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.15, when Gabriel announced John the Baptist's conception and birth, he said this, he says, for him, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, kind of like a Nazarite vow. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Life begins at conception. And in this case, this baby was spirit-filled even before he was delivered in birth. Now, Mary, um, excuse me, Elizabeth, her words are just this. She's like, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's repeating Gabriel's words. She had not heard his words. And she says, but why is it granted to me? Why do I get this awesome privilege the joy of being with my young cousin who is going to have a baby. And the baby is the mother of my Lord and Savior. Mary has not spoken a word of her encounter with the angel Gabriel. But Elizabeth knew that she was pregnant and she understood its significance. Why? Because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, while she gives honor to Mary as the bearer of the Messiah, she focuses on the child. By virtue of Mary's arrival, Elizabeth has received a royal visit from her Lord. And he's still in the womb of this virgin. It says, for indeed, verse 44, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, just a simple shalom, <laughs> you know, from my young cousin. The babe leaped in my womb for joy. And then she gives credit where credit is due. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed. You see, Mary's faith brought her blessing. Not just for Mary, but to her cousin. Mary's faith, by the way, brought blessing to you and me, didn't it? And he's, then she makes a prophetic statement. She says, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. 
What's going to happen is going to happen. Prophetic talk. Prophetic speaking. Right after Jesus was born, there was another miraculous encounter in the fields outside Bethlehem. An angel of the Lord stood before the, uh, before the country shepherds, Luke 2, 11 and 12. And they said, For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Immediately there was a visible presence before them described as a multitude of the heavenly host, standing with the angel and praising God and saying, in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The shepherds left to confirm the sign and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And they responded by making it widely known, the birth of the Savior. In Luke 2.19, it says, but Mary, seeing, now think about Mary's experience, okay, what she's been through. She's already gone through the end of her pregnancy. She's had the baby, the exaltation from heaven. It says in Luke 2.19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. To ponder means to bring together in your mind, to think about things often. And so here we've come to a place where we live in a culture that openly celebrates Christmas each time of year. For some of us, it's a difficult time. It brings to mind those we have lost over the years. But for others, it's the only time they might attend church or read a Bible. The extremes are wide. Much of what we think about Christmas is anything but Jesus' birth. This is not all bad. You know, we're, we're serving and giving to others during this season. We're celebrating our family time, catching up on some much-needed rest. But as Christians, you and I are called to make Jesus widely known, not only on the holidays, not just Christmas and Easter, but all the time. So let's take a lesson from Mary. During the commotion of this busy season, Stuff, you know, oh man, I didn't forget I had to do that. You know, a lot of some people make lists, some people just let it happen, and it happens. Make sure to take time to ponder the mysteries of this incarnate birth of our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, the Son of God, who is God the Son. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.